The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. When we left our hero Joseph last week, he was rotting in prison. This week, we witness his improbable, meteoric rise to power. Within the course of one fast-moving chapter, he'll be pulled up from the dungeon and placed in command of all of Egypt, second only to the pharaoh himself. And this great promotion is all due to his powers of dream interpretation. Now, dreams have been a constant theme in the Joseph story, and Parshat Miketz begins again with two dreams. Pharaoh dreams of seven skinny cows devouring seven fat cows on the banks of the Nile. He stirs awake, only to fall asleep again, and this time dreams of seven withered ears of corn. Again, somehow swallowing seven healthy ears of corn. And again he wakes up, clearly shaken by the strange images. The next morning his spirit was agitated. And he sent for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret them for Pharaoh. Finally, the royal cupbearer, who had been in prison with Joseph, suddenly remembers that the young Hebrew had a knack for dream interpretation. He had accurately predicted the future fates of two of the prisoners. So the cupbearer tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh summons Joseph from out of the pit, and Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, who repeats the two dreams, and then everything starts moving very quickly. Two things happen right away. Joseph immediately tells Pharaoh that his dream is a message from God. Seven years of plenty are about to begin, he says, but they will be followed by seven years of famine. Take care, he says, to start saving now while things are good, to prepare for hard times ahead. And the other thing that happens is that Pharaoh immediately believes Joseph. In fact, he's so pleased with the interpretation that he immediately appoints Joseph his right-hand man. So what's going on here? I mean, first of all, how does Joseph know that this is a divine message and know exactly what to do with it? But I suppose there we're meant to assume he's tapped into some kind of semi-prophetic power. More perplexing to me, though, is how does Pharaoh know instantly that he's hearing the truth? After all, the wisest men in Egypt have disappointed him. And all of a sudden, this young prisoner, a foreigner, shows up, rattles off a 14-year plan for the country, and Pharaoh is all in. What was it that convinced him so quickly? Some of the commentators have suggested that Pharaoh already knew the answers Joseph gave, 
He'd heard them in the dream as well, and he was just testing people, waiting for the right man to show up. But I don't buy that. I mean, if he already knew what to do, why did he need Joseph anyway? And why was his spirit agitated? Something was troubling him. Something was missing, and yet he knew enough to know when the interpretations he heard were wrong. So the solution I find most convincing is given by the Italian rabbi Ovadia Saforno, one of the first great commentators during the Renaissance period, and he focuses on the very first thing that Joseph says to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's dream is one, he says. Chalom paro echadhu. What does that mean? It seems explicit that Pharaoh had two dreams. But that's exactly the point, says the Sforno. Pharaoh saw that everyone thought they were two dreams and interpreted them as two separate things. But he himself understood they were one dream. As he said, I saw in my dream. Therefore, he thought, the other interpreters have made a mistake. So the critical thing in this reading is not the content of Joseph's interpretation, but the fact that he understood that what looked like two dreams were really one. And Pharaoh himself had a sense that this was true, that it was all part of one dream, but he couldn't explain why. In fact, the Torah itself tips us off to this understanding right from the start. Just after Pharaoh's night of dreaming, we read, and Pharaoh awoke, it was a dream. Not dreams, but a dream. Now, if we look carefully through the rest of the narrative, we see that this discrepancy continues between Pharaoh and Joseph's understanding and everyone else's. Here's a medieval commentator, the great Portuguese statesman and scholar Rabbi Yitzchak Abarbanel, taking us through phrase by phrase every time Pharaoh speaks about dreaming. And it's always about one dream, singular. Verse 8, and Pharaoh told them his dream, chalomo. Verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, chalom chalamti. Verse 17, in my dream I was standing, bachalomi. Verse 22, I saw in my dream, vaere bachalomi. Therefore, says the Abarbanel, I think that Pharaoh himself felt that everything was one dream, which is why he always spoke of it in the singular. But the interpreters thought they were two separate dreams. It's uncanny, actually. If we look back, Pharaoh has been saying all along that it was one dream, not two. And no one listened. Until Joseph came along. And the very first thing Joseph says is, Pharaoh's dream is one. At that moment, Pharaoh knows he has someone he can trust. What's so remarkable about this answer is that it was right there all along, right in front of us. It's right in the text of the Torah, and Pharaoh says it explicitly again and again. But everyone misses it, and we miss it too. I certainly did. And that means that Joseph's great powers of interpretation are not just his direct channel to God, his ability to tap into some mysterious divine knowledge. Maybe he has some of that too, but what he also has 
is the ability to listen, to listen carefully to the words that the person before him is saying and to really take them in and then to be able to reflect them back so that the person knows that they are hearing their own truth. Now that's a skill we could all stand to practice, careful listening to the people around us. How often do we respond too quickly without taking in everything we're hearing? What do we miss? What are we overlooking? Are they telling us something important about who they are, about what's going on inside of them? Maybe it's one word that holds the clue to understanding the person standing right in front of us. And so Joseph is teaching us how to listen to people but he's also teaching us something about how to read the Torah, which is that we ought to read it slowly and listen carefully, carefully considering each word, each turn of phrase, because the Torah sometimes speaks like a person telling us their dreams. She has something important to tell us, some truth she needs to reveal, but it's hazy it's emerging from a mysterious place somewhere deep in our collective psyche, the universal psyche, the place where dreams are born. She wants to explain, wants us to understand something, but it's tricky bringing these kinds of truths out into the world. It's like telling someone about a dream you had. It's hard to get it just right. So she's choosing her words carefully. Like Joseph, we have to listen very carefully to pay attention to every word, because it could be that everything hangs on this very next word. So pay attention when you're reading this book, because the next word you hear could mean the difference between slavery and freedom, between doom and salvation. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom. And our theme song is Pitrouli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week. Thank you.